Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, audience and listeners. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Anton Mateo from Peak Multifamily, who is one of the leading uh, multifamily financing agency. Anton is a CEO of uh, Peak Multifamily Funding. He graduated from uh, Zurich Business School. He's from Switzerland originally. Love Switzerland for the view of it. And uh, he has been advising family officers, high net worth individuals, and has done billions and billions of dollars of loans. Anton and I was discussing before this interview started saying it's not fair for lenders to declare how many billions they have done. because That can be a lot of money, but the experience level, you know, the knowledge and acumen of the industry matters a lot in uh, when you're doing financing. Hey, Anton, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, we are having... Originally, I planned to have a meeting with you to talk about hey, what could happen similar to 2008 <laughs> crisis, right? Because we have been talking about it for the past few months, but now we are in the middle of coronavirus recession, I would say. And we are, I think this is the first or second week that's happening. So basically, we don't have to predict what the recession can be, but we can predict you know, what are the outcome from uh, you know this event, I would say, right? Uh, could be, right? So I think a few months ago, you and I have a lot of discussion about you know how the market would turn, how dangerous is the market right now in terms of uh, you know operators uh, or you know a lot of sponsors or syndicators buying deals. We just over leveraged, overpriced, and all that. So what were your thoughts before this uh, COVID nineteen uh, recession? about and how was how was your mind state of mind in terms of how the economy was and how everybody was buying deals and we'll go into the details on COVID-19 and what's happening now. Sure as you right uh, on the operator side uh, uh, have seen quite a number of deals that for me personally didn't make sense why right? didn't our deal was financeable from a lender perspective from a debt service coverage particularly when it's an agency loan does not necessarily mean that it's a good deal from a from an equity investor perspective. So I, uh, even though we were able to finance uh, some of these deals with a number of them, I I would not have felt comfortable to invest in in those deals. There were plenty of deals that still made a lot of sense, right? So don't get me wrong; it's not all of them, but there was only. Uh, the number of deals that, in my view, didn't make sense over the last two years only have increased dramatically compared to, to before. And uh, at the same time, we have also arranged uh, bridge loans. And as you probably know, bridge lenders were extremely active. They have, have taken a, a major uh, uh, activity uptake over the last few years. So there was a lot of competition in the bridge lending space, which meant that you were easily able to get uh, 80% of cost for, for your, uh, for your C class property and sometimes in pretty tough locations. And bridge loans uh, make perfectly sense when it's a true value add deal, right? But when it's, it's not really a value add, and it's mostly to do a soft rehab. But you feel that you don't get the uh, the agency loan where you need it, and you go with a bridge loan. Then I think it 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 was much more problematic, right? Uh, so with that, obviously, we, we have seen quite a number of these bridge loans and deals that I believe, particularly in the current environment, will will likely struggle. Uh, because these bridge lenders, they are uh, they are not like the agencies and FHA, right? That came down now with the uh, with the forbearance offer. Uh, don't expect that from bridge lenders. Yeah, right? I know it's uh, crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> now I feel so happy. I'm all in Fannie and Freddie. Like, 
<laughs> for the yes. past one and a half year, I've moved everything to Fannie Freddy. I'm just so. Are you saying on the bridge side uh, there is no forbearance? Uh, what's happening on the bridge side with the COVID nineteen uh, crisis right now? Well, uh, as a general rule, bridge lenders have have never been. Uh, uh, some of them, the good bridge lenders, they have always been willing to make adjustments by when they see that the borrower is is behind of the original plan. Uh, the ones that are really in there as a partner, they have been willing to to cooperate. And I think those lenders, and there are not really that many among all the bridge lenders that are out there, they will continue in doing these times to help uh, uh, a borrower to get through that time. But they are the majority of bridge lenders are not, right? because they... Uh, very often, it's not their own money, right? So they essentially have orders behind that that they went to, and they have kind of an obligation to fulfill that loan agreement uh, to the letter, and their investors demand that they fulfill their obligation as per the loan agreement. So some of them are very aggressive just by nature, and the orders have the force from the investors they have the loan funded from to actually go into into enforcement, or you can call it loss mitigation, as the nice term sounds, uh, with these loans very forcefully and very quickly. Right. So now maybe there is a is a little bit of a shy a positive light here that they may say, look, yes, we could foreclose right now, but maybe it's not a good time to do the foreclosure now anyhow. So let's just uh, go through another couple of months and then see whether we want to foreclose. But it's still, in my view, that just kicked uh, the can down the road for a very brief period of time until they go all the way in with their, with, with their loss mitigation process. But I think, uh, I mean, it all depends on what's happening in April, right? I mean, uh, I mean, we have another 10 more days to go and we're going to show sure. the red collection. Yeah. But but in general, I already seeing even in my properties, they are residents who are declaring that they can't pay, right? And this oh, sure. 3000 $3, a dollar per, per family units, I'm not sure, as you mentioned, they're going to use it for rent or is that, is that one time? I'm not sure for how many months is that. Um, but the thing is, the delinquency will be higher. So, you know, I believe the... The sponsors or syndicators who are halfway through value add, and you know, right now they are not done with the value add, so your their rent might be struggling. Right, uh, you know, if it goes below a certain level, they're going to be stuck right now because it's going to be negative. And uh, as you mentioned, bridge lenders are private people, right? Uh, they have uh, you know the obligation to whoever gave them the money. And that's right. Yeah, yeah. So if you have already a property that is, let's say, your third empty because you've planned all your uh, your rehab, right? Uh, even if you do rehab, uh, who are the tenants that you are now uh, can attract, right? Mm. And so uh, you would have to attract them with very aggressive terms uh, if you find them, and then you're still not not at that level that you need to be based on your performer, which the lender wants to essentially base their decision on to release more rehab money for future draws right so then essentially that rehab money sits with uh, with the bridge lender you have not performed as per the loan agreement so if you want to go ahead further you need to inject more equity right yeah so it's basically it's kind of a vicious cycle right? yeah it's a downward spiral right because now uh i believe on the bridge sites a lot of loan are based on ltv right i mean loan to value and they're going to assume the value is going to drop because now your rent is going to drop, right? They're going to ask. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of loan-to-value, but as you go through the, the draw process, it's uh -huh. it's more driven by by a certain uh, amount of collections that you need to achieve uh, and or NOI and then the, the debt deals that you need to achieve with that. Right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different uh, different measuring sticks, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you use. It's very hard to achieve these these uh, points that you need to meet at a certain uh, point in the timeline when your property is not performing, right? Mm. And the reality is, all these bridge loans they ha all typically have very aggressive timelines to start with. 
So if you fall behind just by a, a couple of months, it can be become very problematic when it says uh, in, after six months, we should achieve this. And you are essentially behind by two or three months. And uh, it's, it continues to to uh, go in, in the same direction as as you fall behind that uh, once you're at year one and then and so on. So uh, I would say the ones that have enough cash on their own that they can inject as needed, they will be fine, right? So the ones that suffer the most are the sponsors that, uh, that just kind of get by uh, with their own personal financials, and they don't have the ability to inject a couple of hundred thousands as needed to to get the uh, ball rolling at the property. Yeah, but it's tricky, right? Right now, I mean, most sponsor can use this COVID nineteen and burn the equity and get out, right? Or they can keep on injecting and try to because no one knows what's going to happen in the next six months, right? Uh, so it's a gamble. A lot of uh, sponsors or syndicators need to take whoever on the bridge loan. If you know, if they need to continue injecting more money or give it back to the bridge lender, I guess. Right? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, right now they have a valid true. reason. They can say the whole world is collapsing. I'm getting out now, right? <laughs> yeah. If you if you're a syndicator, right? So you essentially can ask your investors, look, we are in 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 really deep trouble. Do we want to inject more money? Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, I would say. Uh, what typically should happen is that you do a capital call, uh-huh. and if no one wants to do it, then you would have to lend yourself, uh, or you you do your you con- you contribute the equity yourself. But in most instances, it's not equity, but it's more a loan by the partners. But again, that all requires that the general partners actually have the cash available to lend to the to the property and a lot of them I've seen out there that don't have that capacity right mm. so it will be very interesting uh, obviously that always assumes that things really get bad right uh, we don't know yet right maybe it's a miracle and all that stimulus money somehow uh, <laughs> uh, entices these tenants to pay the rent uh, obviously I hope for you and for everyone else who is a who operates properties that that's going to happen. But when based on history, uh, I don't think that that is really going to happen. And uh, I think last night you had Brian on, right? And he was referring to uh, to the situation during, uh, during the hurricanes uh, and Hurricane Harvey, in, yeah. in, in, in Houston. And that's a perfect example, I would say. Right? We cannot compare it with 2008, right? I think we all agree with that. But certainly what happened with Harvey and the flooding is probably a much better comparison, right? Because everything had to be shut down. It was very localized, but it had to be shut down. And as, as Brian was correctly mentioning, right, the... Uh, Properties across the board suffered in uh, with with delinquencies, right? Uh, so I would say we see we likely see that uh, we just do not know yet how big the percentage is by asset class and by location, right? I think it will depend a lot on locations. Obviously, places like. Uh, like the northeast, the greater New York City areas only suffer more. Same thing in in in, in Washington State, in Texas, it, we have to see right how how bad it is. Obviously, we have also the additional element of oil and gas that has played a a, a massive negative role here for us in Texas, particularly for for the property owners in Houston, and we don't even have to talk about Midland and Odessa, right? <laughs> uh, but even in Houston, it's it's only something that that will, in addition to COVID nineteen, will have a negative impact on on these properties. So it will be very fascinating to see how 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 the performance looks like over the next uh, next uh, few months. Yeah, yeah, but I'll get a good indication in the next 10 days. But we already like yeah. getting our property managers to start probing with tenants and, uh, you know, who's having trouble and all that. So we are compiling that, trying to understand and trying to work with them some kind of payment plans. That's yeah. what uh, Texas Apartment Association, or we call it TAA, has uh, 
uh, give us guidance, right? But but I think it's a lot of it depends on which sub market you are in. I mean, I know I, I sometimes we use we put you know depends on right, and then people think oh, okay, my property is good, right? But <laughs> there's a lot more details to it, right? So like whether you you have a base manufacturing in that area or not, or whether your 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 city or wherever you invest is a lot of it service industry or not, because service industry is dead right now. Yeah. Las Vegas used to be the best place to invest uh, before yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. But I'm sure now the whole Las Vegas is closed down, right? I'm sure, you know, every people don't have money there, right? Because they are both more on the leisure business, gambling. That's right, yeah. So hotel business. Yeah. So basically, there's there's no money. So become within two weeks, things change now. So compared to places where, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing happening, there's diversity of employment, you can still reduce the rent of slightly and then you still get people who can pay because they're still being employed, right? And, That's right. And yeah, if you're so right next to an Amazon uh, uh, logistics yeah. center, you're probably good. <laughs> correct, 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 correct. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, I'm still getting rents right now up to now for the past two, three days. I'm still getting rents for April so that's a good sign. But ours is all automating, right? It's all virtual, right? So probably they already set up the ACH is all coming online. But we'll know about it yeah. in the next uh, sure. five yeah. to ten days, right? It's very interesting yeah. times uh, to see. Definitely, um, yeah. But as I said, I mean, last time, you know, what you call, everybody was doing very well because the market was doing very well, right? Now, you know, sub-market location uh, become very important, right? And, you know, Definitely. the good thing is, you know, whoever has this agency loan, I think, they have many ways to, you know, to weather this, uh, you know, either take the forbearance or just you know, ride it through because your loan is there. But guys with short-term loan, this is very, very tricky right now, right? Uh, and you talked about the bridge loans and all that. Do you see the same issue with, you know, loans on credit union, the banks, small banks and all that? Do, do you think they still have issues similar to bridge loan guys? No, uh... I mean, what we have seen was actually so far has been very positive, where uh, particularly these smaller credit unions and banks have been very cooperative right. in finding solutions, uh, whether it's forbearance. And that seen before it started, right? It's it's almost like, okay, we understand uh, we, 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 are re- we are reaching uh, now a, a tough period of time and uh, that you're willing to either modify the loan to stretch it out to uh, to lower the rate uh, so they they are very uh, at least uh, a good number of them what we have heard back from from various borrowers have, have had a very good experience there right? got it got it so are they being managed by fh fa as well the small banks and uh, credit unions no, they are. It's all balance sheet based. Oh, right? it's all so, balance sheet based. Yeah. Okay. So, so, the, so these are really the easy ones, the ones that originate the loans and then securitize them too. Okay. Uh, you, they are in the same boat as I would say all all the other uh, loans that are out there. I'm talking the ones that uh, typically it's more the small loans, somewhere in the uh, three hundred thousand to maybe two million, three million range, right? So not not really the the larger loans. There are some exceptions there, but they are they are loans that are not a, a significant burden on their balance sheet, and uh, it's much better for them to work out these existing loans that they have on the balance sheet that. You know, on the basis are still very sound. They're just going through a through a harder time that you're willing to to work it out with the, with the borrowers, right? Uh, right? So that's really for for the ones that are on balance sheets to, and the ones that really have had success. The borrowers are the ones that have already very good established relationships with these banks, right? Got so it, yeah. they they know the owners or the branch manager. And again, that that brings us back to that relationship. Now is more important than ever, right? Correct, correct. Whether, exactly. whether you whether you do a new loan now or whether you already have an existing loan, the way you you have managed your relationships, whether it's your tenants, whether it's your property management company, whether it's your lender, now that all comes back to you, right? If you treated them badly. They will remember if you treated them well, they are more willing to work with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just for the audience, I mean, if you guys have read my book, uh, Passive Investing in Commercial Real Estate, I did very, very specifically mention that bridge loans may not be the best loan during the market peak, right? Uh, and yeah. I'm not sure how many people read my book. 
<laughs> but I did mention it there, right? And that was written like two years ago. And I, I mean, yeah. as I say, I stopped doing it just for my peace of mind. And I want to make sure that I protect my investors' money as much as possible, right? Rather than, you know, doing these flips at the end of the cycle and giving them, you know, taking high, large risk and trying to do a flip at the end. Uh, I rather go, uh, you know, on a, on a much better, safer bet uh, with a better kind of yeah. finance strategy, right? So, right, yeah. When was this triggered to you? I mean, I mean, I know we are talking about like I think we are like two weeks into this crisis right now, right? Mm-hmm. But this happened so quickly, right? When did you feel like okay, we are in trouble right now? Because you and I spoke, and we had like twelve different reasons why the market can go bad, right? We have Brexit. I don't know. We have like 12 things. I can't remember what the exact things. Uh, yeah. We had so many things. We laid out what could go wrong. But I believe this is completely out of the norm, right? A medical health issue, a virus infection that's causing everybody to stay at home, right? I mean, is that right? And, and when when did you start to think that, oh, my God, this could be the next recession? Yeah. I mean, we, we have seen already pressure in the system for a while uh, where we have seen that uh, that liquidity was an issue in uh, in the uh, in the banking system. Uh, we have seen it already last fall and we have seen it in January and February uh, just because of the overall view that we, we have reached a point where uh, Everyone is is getting more concerned, uh, but it it was still possible with the Fed uh, doing all uh, f- uh, f- essentially doing all these liquidity measures uh, in the past. As soon as there was the slightest view that there might be a little bit of a slowdown, so they were able to essentially put as much liquidity into the market as as they needed to. Now I would say. The current situation and where we are now on the lending side really has started just about two weeks ago, right? So it's not a not that it really built up. Obviously, everyone was watching what was happening in, in China and then in, in slowly in Europe. And as it was building up in Europe, suddenly the clouds came out. But you may recall at that point we the treasuries uh uh, dropped significantly, right? Uh, the Fed uh, already dropped uh, the rates once, and that re- actually resulted in some of the best time to borrow and to refinance. So that we had maybe a period of two weeks, maybe three weeks, but I think it was just around two weeks when we were able to get uh, to get uh, essentially. Uh, uh, 10-year and 12-year loans at close to 3%. Right? <laughs> uh, I know some someone that was not arranged to us, but I know someone who, who got a rate that was below 3%. I think it was 294 or something wow. like that. Hmm. Uh, uh, and that lasted really just for a brief period of time until two weeks ago when everyone realized we have a problem. And that problem really just... Uh, was shown again in the market that there was no liquidity, right? Uh, and the Fed was then coming out with their one and a half tri- trillion uh, injection, where they said we are we are going to uh, uh, to to buy as much treasuries as we need, and we are going to buy commercial papers. And that still didn't do anything to the market, right? Uh, And then, uh, so the the spreads actually started to tighten on the agency loans at that point. And then we were up into the mid to three, three percent in all in rates. And then uh, this weekend, then they announced, as you may recall, Last weekend, uh, the Fed announced that they are now buying also agency MBS for as much as is as it is needed. Right. So, not obviously, the hope was there that they would provide the confidence to the market that there is so much uh, uh, liquidity that they are willing to put into the market that no investor in these in these MBS should be concerned. Uh, and that that would stabilize at least uh, the multifamily market, right? Uh, obviously, they have not uh, said that they would buy other commercial mortgage-backed securities like uh, hospitality or retail-based <laughs> NBS. But 
it still didn't help, did not help when it came to the to the agency side. And I would say that was probably the biggest uh, surprise. So then they had the announcement on Sunday, and then on Monday, the agency spreads actually went up by 75 to 100 basis points. Right? So even though they announced it, that they will buy as many agency mortgage-backed securities as the market needs to get the liquidity in, the market obviously didn't believe it, uh, and the spreads moved up even further. And we are still in the same situation today, right? So if you wanted to get into a new agency loan today uh, with a new Fanny loan, 10-year Fanny loan, your rate will be uh, at 4.5% for, for, a, a, for a larger Fanny loan that has some form of, as we call it, the mission-based, right, with affordability elements to it. If there was no affordability element to it, you're probably closer to 5%, right? So, and that's coming up from just three weeks ago when we were at the low threes, right? <laughs> and that's all driven because the markets, there are no buyers out there, right? So right. no one is able to price right now. Obviously, we hope that that will all uh, be sorted out. And I think as market participants, see how the the impact on multifamily is going to be in April and May, uh, it will calm down because then they understand uh, how big that impact is and are able to determine where the, the, the pricing should be. But until then, it's essentially there is no one that is buying, right? And that puts Fannie also in a very... Very diff- Fannie and Freddie in a very difficult position because they obviously they uh, are obligated to buy that loan from a from a lender that originates that loan and then they need to securitize it and sell it and they they do not want to keep it on their book right so they they uh, and even if they keep it on their book they still have have the credit risk transfer buyers that they are going to. Right, so their Fannie's goal has always been that they that they will find and Freddie too that they find other risk participants, and in order to find them, the loans need to be priced so that these risk participants are willing to to buy whatever share of risk that they are participating in. And right now, no one is willing to to take that risk. Right? I know it's crazy. So, yeah. do you think we should? Uh, I mean, so whoever looking at. To do deals or to refinance should wait a few more weeks or, or because uh, I don't know a few more weeks or months or, or what do you what yes do you I, I think for 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 refi is in my view is easier right because you are not really under under immediate pressure unless you're really in a in a very difficult financial situation but then it's mm-hmm. probably the last thing to consider refinancing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I would wait on the refinancing side until the market has calmed down. Uh, why would you want to f- now deal with an interest rate that is four and a half to five percent when the ten-year Treasury hovers under under one percent? Right there, uh, if the market calms down, there is a, is a reasonable expectation that it's it's the spread. Uh, narrows again and that you're back down maybe not to the three and a half but maybe in four percent or four and a quarter uh it is such an uncertain time that it might it just doesn't make sense to uh to jump in and and apply for refinancing also the other point is uh since your future collections are still taken into consideration if you apply today a lender may underwrite to your T12 up to March and everything looks great. And as April and May and June come in, and if the, uh, the drop is pretty significant, that will impact your loan proceeds at that point too. So not only have you applied for a loan, uh, potentially have a very high rate, but now the loan proceeds are getting cut too. Right. So there is so much uncertainty that in my view, it just doesn't make sense right at this point, unless it's an absolute emergency to do so. Right? Okay. When it comes to acquisitions, uh, I mean, it needs to be a blazing deal in my view to even <laughs> consider an acquisition uh, because you have the same situation. What do you... 
How do you negotiate with a seller? Right? What clauses can you put into a contract in terms of occupancy and in terms of collections that a seller would feel comfortable with, but you are also comfortable with? Because that's really what you should do, in my view, if you go under a new contract. You should say that the occupancy needs to be at a certain level and the collections need to be at a certain level. And if not, then it's going to be uh, through a retrade. Right? Uh, so if you don't have that, then I think the risk is just too high. And on on the other side with the loan, it's essentially the same thing, right? So yes, you can apply for that loan, but unless you have these clauses in that uh, PSA, you run the risk that you go in for a higher price. You should retrade the seller, but you cannot, but the loan amount is still being cut, right? So my recommendation is if you find that deal, uh, the first step is really to get these clauses uh, with the seller in the PSA. And if you have these clauses the way out, then you need to decide whether it's worthwhile to spend, let's say, 20000 in loan application fees and all that that you may lose. Uh, but that's ultimately a decision that, that depends on whether you feel that deal is so good. So I wouldn't say don't do it, but have these uh, these uh, clauses in that PSA that allows you to retrade with the seller that essentially then reflects the lower loan proceeds that you would likely get if occupancy and collections drop. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, and also I think it's a, it's a very tricky situation even to raise money, right? Uh, but I'm yes. sure if you find a deal which is, you know, screaming, uh, you know, good, right? Uh, and if you're an experienced operator, you probably can raise the money. But it's yeah. just so uncertain right now. And and I don't know whether you probably already know this. I heard Fannie Mae right now is asking everyone to put like 12 months principal and taxes and insurance uh, into escrow, I guess, right? That payment. Yes, up, up to up to 18 months. It depends on the tier, right? If you're in tier two, it's up to 18 months. Like okay. it's, it's massive, right? So it's... Uh, at least I say it's capped at ten percent of the loan oh, amount. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a, it's, a <laughs> it's a massive amount, right? Uh, so obviously, what does that mean? Now you need to raise more money, right? I know. Uh, uh, so you likely also would say uh, they haven't really lowered their uh, the, the LTV or increased the debt service coverage requirements that may come to, right? But I would say it's more on a deal-by-deal basis anyhow now. Uh, but let's assume that are still in place, uh, that you still get can get these maximum leverage and the same debt service coverage. Just the fact that you have all these escrow that you need to build is a on top of the higher interest rate really hurts hurts the deal, yeah, yeah. which means that you need to get a lower price from the seller. It's just no way around. Yeah, yeah. I think Fanny is just saying we actually out of the market, but you know, if you can meet this, we maybe come back, right? Which is basically bringing their yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. Right. So, so actually, on the uh, that's obviously on the conventional Freddie side and Fanny uh, on the Freddie SPL side. Uh, I mean, we, we, there has nothing been communicated officially, but there's only some rumors that Freddie may stop uh, any new origination for for a for a certain period of time, just to see where things all settle. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it will be again the next few weeks will be uh, extremely fascinating to watch. Uh, how how all the market participants from tenants to operators to lenders respond right mm. and right now we we just do not know but yeah. it's only extremely difficult even to get an agency loan into place that makes sense but that, but I also would say it's really dangerous if someone and that we still still see quotes from brokers and lenders that come in at the three and a half percent because I guess they <laughs> haven't read the news, uh, <laughs> uh, or just to get the borrowers into the door, knowing that it it will be retraded. So that is uh, is another thing that 
borrowers really need to be acutely aware of. Do not trust any quote until you have it validated and validated. Ask the broker, ask the lender multiple times, is that still valid? Right. And again, what we said just a couple of days ago is already outdated. Right. So it's important to be really on top of it and know what the current situation looks like. Got it, got it. Uh, yeah. So maybe just to go quickly back to the forbearance uh, uh, discussion. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a very attractive program. It's good news when you have agency loans. But I still would, would caution to, to use that forbearance uh, uh, and just do it because you can, right? Uh, both Fannie and Freddie, uh, obviously, they have implemented it. It came down from uh, from FHA, right? So it was not really Fannie and Freddie that uh, wanted to do it, but it's a, essentially a government-driven uh, uh, decision that it's necessary, and I think it's the right thing to do, and it's it's a very good uh, a backstop for all the operators. However, if... If you operate a property in a good fashion, particularly if you have owned the property already for a year or two years, uh, you should have enough uh, operating reserves to get through a month or two without having to uh, already to suffer so much with, let's say, a 20% or even 30% collection loss that you immediately need to go back to the lender and ask for uh, for forbearance, right? Uh, so now, could you do it? Uh, I would say you probably could, but uh, generally speaking, I would say you really should only go back when you see that you are getting close to the 1.0105 of debt service cover and essentially make a case, look, it's so bad in, at my property, I have a collection drop of 40% or whatever it is, I need your help, right? But if, let's say, the drop is 10% or even 15%, even 20%, and you go right now to Fannie and Freddie, uh, they may agree to it, but I think it will be a negative mark with them down the road when you go for a new loan that they feel that you really haven't attempted to work this uh, work out the solution on your own first before you went to them. Right? So I would just would be a little bit careful there in, in how quickly you want to pull that trigger. Right? Yeah, yeah. And also forbearance is not, it's not a free, right? You have to make sure you don't evict the person for 90 days or whatever time that you're getting that forbearance, right? So it's yeah, balanced. I mean, yeah, that's that's actually an interesting part, right? So with Fannie, it's actually not just the 90 days. If if you have that forbearance, uh, right? So you're allowed essentially, you have that 90 days and then you can pay it back over a stretch of, uh, of 12 months 12 without months. any late fees and interest charge on it. Now, Fannie has communicated that you are not allowed to evict during the 90 days uh, of forbearance, which is obvious, but also that you're not allowed to evict until you bring the long current, which includes that 12 month of repayment period, if you choose to stretch it out for the 12 month. Mm-hmm. Now, Freddie so far only referred to the 90 days. I suspect that they just forgot to mention that, uh, by the way, you need to bring a current, right? So... I have seen it on Facebook and in some other places where people say, well, Freddie is easier because you only need uh, to to have, the, you only have 90 days where the eviction is halted and then you can do it again. I suspect Freddie will probably also come out and and announce that you need to bring the long current uh, mm-hmm. and only then are you allowed to run your evictions again. So in other words, uh, if you want to, or if you need to go back to normal and uh, uh, that your property allows to do eviction, your property manager, uh, you essentially need to repay after these 90 days, right? And if you do not, and you want to stretch out for another three months or all the way up to 12 months, you essentially have have potentially 15 months at your property where you cannot do any evictions at all, right? Mm. How, do, how do they track whether we're doing evictions or not? 
I don't know how they... So there's no way to... <laughs> well, uh, obviously they can... I'm pretty sure that they all have access to the to the local court uh, system <laughs> and validate that that you have not filed any evictions, right? Got it, uh, got it, got it. Yeah, but somehow you know, it may trigger bad boy cover if you go and uh, not follow the, the well, agreement. That's that a good question, get. right? Uh, now they say you 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 violated our agreement, right? So yeah, so maybe maybe it's not triggering the bad boy carve out, but uh, don't go back to Fanny or Freddy if if you didn't follow these rules to the to the <laughs> dot. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Got yeah. It, yeah. Are you already seeing that uh, sponsors and syndicators are getting letters from bridge lenders for people on bridge? I mean, uh, oh, it's still very early right now to see. No, we, we haven't seen anything. What we have seen is that a number of bridge lenders walked away from from their loans at the last moment. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there were several bridge loans that we know of. Lucky for us, it was none that we were uh, arranging. But I know of a number of of uh, sponsors that uh, had bridge loan commitments in place that were supposed to close within a week to two weeks, and the bridge lender said, "Sorry, we cannot we cannot fund." Right. Mm. Uh, so these these are situations that uh, that have happened already. So it's more like uh, it's more uh, that lenders essentially have pulled out. But we haven't heard anything yet on on existing loans that are in place. Right, and yeah. it's really too early. Uh, right, we need to see how April comes in and what I would say probably takes until May until things get really bad if a property has a massive loss of collections. So, where do you think, based on your experience, because you have gone through two thousand eight and you know you have been in the industry for a very long time, right? Let's say right now, COVID. 19 is gone within one month, right? So everybody start going to work, right? So what is the impact will be as we move forward to the financial market? Because, you know, there's, there's a big shock happened in the financial market, right? There's a lot of people who have, uh, didn't have income for one or two months, right? Uh, what is there a downward spiral or are we are good back again, the sun shines and everything go back to normal? Where do you see and what yeah. could happen? I wish I had the crystal ball, right? Uh, but I, th- I think what we, uh, the harder we land uh, uh, over the next few months, I think the, the quicker the, the upturn is going to be. Uh, but I still feel that it probably will take 18 months to two years until we are truly stabilized, right? I, I know some feel that everything will jump back up again right afterwards. I think the damage to, to consumer confidence uh, will, will still be uh, lingering around for, for quite some time. Yes, there is that pent-up demand for certain items, uh, but businesses still, still suffer, right? Uh, particularly the small businesses, they, some of them really uh, uh, are suffering tremendously, and some of them are not able to come back. Uh, and also, I, I think a lot of the, the service employees, restaurants, are, are will be very slow in hiring. Now, there is also a reason why to keep uh, wages lower, right? So, it's the impact I think on the GDP overall. We probably go through. Uh, obviously, we will jump up very quickly again from from a deep drop. But this year, it's definitely will be negative in my view. Right? Uh, Goldman Sachs talks about roughly 3.8% for the year after a 25% drop. Uh, I think Morgan Stanley talks about uh, 30% drop. Who knows? Right? But I think when you look back in 2008, uh, also when you look back in uh, uh, into the savings and loan crisis, uh, I haven't been uh, around for the actual savings and loan crisis in in, in the business. But I was uh, when I first started out uh, in New York in banking. I've, I was involved with a lot of the workouts uh, of of loans uh, that went through in the in the early nineties that were caused during the savings and loan crisis in the eighties. So it it still took several years to get out of that, 
and as we have seen in 2008, it took a long time to get to get back humming. And yes, it was a very different uh, situation then, but here the shock, in my view, is is so much vaster, and we have also it's a, it's at the global level, right? Uh, the the global economy is suffering so much, and a lot of the U.S. companies are dependent on global trade too. Right. So everything just will take much longer to to recover. Right? That's that's my personal view. Uh, uh, and again, I think it probably will take two years, eighteen months to two years, just to, to fully stabilize. Got it, got it. So yeah, I mean, so so there's a lot of discussion about, hey, this is going to be a sharp V, right? So we go yeah. down very quickly, we're going to come back and everything is normal, right? That's what even the uh, government is saying, right? The economy is going to be roaring back again and everybody go back, it's normal again, right? But yeah, but what you're saying is, uh, you know, in terms of recovery, a lot of uh, businesses, uh, global trade, yes, impacted, you know, maybe the hiring would be slowed down because the the profit has been lost, I guess, right? They want to be careful, I guess. But for example, let's say a restaurant has been closed down for two months, right? So the third month yeah. they open again, they back to business again. Do you think yeah. that will be slower in terms of hiring as well? I mean, because they're back in business, right? I mean, they probably yeah. have two months of rent that they didn't pay. Yeah, so, so it, it will be very interesting to see how the human behavior is going to be at that point, right? Got so it. particularly the first six months to nine months, right? So yes, even if if all the, the governors and and at federal level to say now we are clear, uh, obviously the virus is still lingering, right? So mm-hmm. I think people will still practice a little bit more of that social distancing. Everyone is a little bit more careful, Personally, I feel air travel will probably not pick up nearly as fast, right? Because everyone feels why do I want to be in that in that uh, uh, in that airplane with all the people uh, next to me? I cannot be really walk away. Uh, also, I think events, large events, probably will have a much harder time to come back. Uh, so it's it's really hard to tell, right? I I just feel based on all the uh, the downturns we have gone through very often people say well it it comes back fast and i think the initial recovery undoubtedly will be extremely strong right i mm-hmm. think there is no no doubt about that because we are essentially shut down to a large extent so it has to come back drastically but to really come back to the confidence level where we were before i, I think it will take much longer so you're talking about the cons- consumer confidence, right? So yes, yes, and business confidence. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, I read somewhere that consumer confidence is the you know the most important indicator, right? Uh, you know, for any economy or any crash or any recovery, right? If that yeah. comes up, everything comes up. If that goes down, everything goes down. Right? Yeah. So no matter what, no matter what you do, right? The, the, con- the consumer yeah. needs to be confident in terms of probably spending money and doing events and you know doing. Um, you know, taking flights. And so, for example, let's look at class A, B, and C renters base, right? I mean, class B and C is a lot of service industry. People are on paycheck to paycheck. I don't know. I'm just thinking this quickly, right? Uh, they may be, okay, so now third month, fourth month, we are back in business. I mean, unless their wage is lower, then it's an impact to them. But if their wage is the same, they probably have that wage uh, coming back to them again. Maybe they are scared. Maybe they want to go to a, a lower rent amount. Maybe. I do not know. But I think uh, still the impact to the like flights and to the big, big companies, I guess, right, it's going to be more because now this is a global trade. So could that be the A-class renters be more impacted compared to B and C in the, sh- the long run? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just thinking this quickly. Uh, yeah. It depends on how, how fast it come back and what is yeah. the wage they are getting and how confident they are. In, yeah. Right. So. Uh, I, I think when, when you look at... Uh, most people that live in A-class properties, they have uh, have pretty decent jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, some of these jobs are now being uh, lost, or at least they are in a furlough, so they are not getting paid right now, so they can collect their uh, their unemployment. And uh, I would say if if they cannot afford it in the A class, they may move down to the B class, right? So that's where I would see people that struggle 
uh, in these jobs uh, do not get back that they need to move down into B. I just do not see that someone who is in an A class will will, will be willing to go into a into a, a C class property, right? So I, I would say they would probably rather move somewhere else mm. uh, than than into a C class property. Uh, and I I feel kind of the same for the people that live in in B class properties that uh, that they will. Uh, Moving into a C-class property is, uh, for them, in my view, is also kind of the last resort. Uh, now, the, the big question is how the residential market will okay. will evolve, right? Because we have not even talked about that, right? Uh, how is there, will, will there be a massive drop in, in prices because uh, uh, in the short term, because no one now... In some markets, can can even see properties, right? Yeah. Are they getting forbearance as well? The single family houses. Uh, I think when you are residential, I'm I'm not active at all in in the uh, in the single family space. Uh, but my understanding is, if it's your own primary residence, you get forbearance. You can apply for forbearance too, but not for okay. an investment property, right? Oh, got it, got it. But I think I'm, I'm more wondering how it would work for someone who is in a B-class property. Would they have an opportunity to potentially then buy a property? And if they are not able to buy a single family home, whether they would be able to uh, to rent a single family home uh, mm. instead, right? Uh, I just do not feel, and uh, again, some people said that uh, during the last downturn, a lot of people moved down from A to B and from B to C. Based on, it's it's hard to track, right? I do not really believe anyone has been able to properly track that. But based at least on what I have seen during that time, there was not really much movement. There was a lot of movement from A to B because of that rising point, but it's still a decent quality property when you when you are used to an A-class property, but I have not really seen uh, much coming from a B-class to a C-class, right? But again, I'm, I'm not an expert in this, right? There may be economists out there that have studied this. Got it, got it, yeah. Uh, uh, but I just do not feel that these movements are really happening. Now, when it comes to the service employees, I I agree with you, right? Once, that, once they start back up, uh, they need the employees right away. Right? Yeah. There is, is no doubt about that. And I think that's really, in my view, is kind of that, uh, that positive light for C-class properties at the end of the tunnel. Once the, that shutdown is, is over, and restaurants are able to operate again, and stores are able to operate, and all the other service type related business, including hotels, uh, they they have a job again. Provided they don't have a negative wage growth, I guess, which could happen as well, right? Businesses may be covering this, but this is, I mean, within two months. I mean, if I'm an operator, if I'm a restaurant owner, I will hire back the same people, right? I mean, I have two options: either I pay them the same amount when before they leave. I pay them slightly lower. I I just don't hire a three option. I don't yes. hire some people. Yeah. Right? So 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 there. The question again is how many restaurants are able to reopen, right? Oh, and, okay. Uh, okay. So uh, we just don't know if, uh, if it's just for for another month or mm. two months. I would say the majority are able to to cover the loss and and go back to normal afterwards or go back to business. But a lot of them, I think, will, without some form of a bailout, wherever that comes from, uh, will probably uh, not be able to reopen. Right? So right. that's where that question comes in. Is there also a pressure, at least in the short term, on wages that whoever is in the service business now does not have as much choices as they've had pre-COVID-19? Right? Got Which, it, got it. You know, what about the construction loan? What's happening in that space? I mean, people with construction that is ongoing right now, from what yeah. I understand, the construction loan is also a loan where, you know, if the value of the building that you're constructing drops, they may ask the uh, whoever the developer is to put in more money right now. Could they be in trouble as well? Yeah, uh, we haven't really seen that yet. 
it it probably depends on what phase you're in in, in that construction loan. Right, if you're in the early phase where you just uh, uh, started the, the earth movements or started with going vertical, and you're still a year out plus to start your lease up, uh, I do not really see that that uh, impacts it uh, that much. If you're already doing your lease-up periods, then I think you need to go back to your lender and find out how you can extend that that loan. Because usually you may have two to three years, right? two and a half to three years of the construction before you go into perm. And you may need another six months to, to complete that lease-up. But if you're early or right during the construction, I would say it, it shouldn't be such a big issue because the, once you do, uh, when you consider the, the leverage for most of these loans is relatively low anyhow, right? Where you're at your 60, 65 of cost, uh, maybe 60, 65 to value if it's, if it's, if it's a more an established uh, sponsor. So the leverage is not really, in most senses, is not that high to start with. So I don't think that these lenders will 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 be uh, will be holding back. Uh, I'm more concerned about again the, the hard money construction lenders that are out there too. Right? Oh, okay, uh, so the hard money uh, construction lenders. Are- yes. So where you are in in your eight, nine, ten percent construction loans, these players are, are I'm more concerned about. So is there a chance for the construction loan to uh, construction loan guys to say, okay, I'm not funding anymore because they go on draws, right, based on the progress of construction. Yes. Is there yeah. a chance they said, okay, we are done. We are we are no more touching. We are no more funding you. We are out, even though they have signed uh, the commitment because they probably don't have the money. You know, they. I mean, it's all come from some pool of money, right? They are not sure. Yeah. Not so uh, I would say that it you you have that risk, right? Uh, the larger the player, uh, I would say the the less likely it is, right? Uh, I would say if you, if you have a strong bank, uh, a bank will continue to to lend. Uh, if you have a life insurance company that has provided it, they likely will continue to lend and have the, the, the access to the funds. Uh, but uh, if it's a private lender, uh, then I would be probably more concerned right, that okay. they are able to to continue to fund the draws. Yeah, that's interesting because I think in 2008, uh, that's what happened to a lot of construction uh, projects, right? Everything stopped yeah. because everybody ran out of money, right? So. Yeah, uh, I mean it. It could happen, right? We we we, we do not know, right? But at least so far, we we haven't seen it. Got it. Where right. they have come to a complete halt. And again, the private space, I do not know, but certainly the institutional space hasn't hasn't come to a complete halt yet. Got it. Got it. Got it. So the other thing that I want to you know uh, just give some education to the listeners is you know how a loan can be made from non recourse to recourse, right? And I know. Since we talk offline, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the past <laughs> crash, or you know, you had that one of the function that uh, you know you are familiar with, or you were doing is like you know, lenders yeah. are trying to figure out how to make deals from non-recourse to recourse. What are the yes. potential ways that that can happen? I mean, we know we talk about this bad boy carve out in the agency loans, right? But uh, yes, yeah. So. Uh, Obviously, if, uh, I think most of your listeners have heard now of the bad boy carve out, right? Uh, which essentially means that if you uh, if you create uh, if you cause a, a fraud or gross negligence, then uh, you uh, that loan can can turn into a personal recourse, right? And one of the examples, fraud, is kind of obvious, right? When it comes to the property operations. Uh, when it comes to gross negligence, it can be that you are not maintaining the insurance, right? That can be, even if you forget about it, that's gross negligence, right? So even if it's unintentional, it's still gross negligence. If you uh, do not verify that the insurance meets all the agency requirements, particularly when you may change the insurance right from one to the other, and uh, somehow you feel, oh, I get a better rate, and then suddenly 
you get that better premium, but you may not meet all the requirements of uh, of the of the loan insurance requirements. So these are kind of the obvious things. Like what is now a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. But usually the the agency have this specialized insurance department to verify all uh, insurance requirements met. Right, whenever we change the uh, insurance provider. Yes, uh, they should, right? As it, it goes along, it's essentially the servicer is supposed to, okay. to, take, to to track this, right? But it's still up to you to verify that you actually meet these requirements, right? It's okay, not, you okay. cannot say, well, uh, the, the servicer from that lender didn't say anything, so I'm fine. No, that's that's not the way it works, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's really important that uh, with an insurance change, obviously, if if you get the approval from from the insurance uh, person at the lender or whoever they are hiring, and gives the green light, then it's a different story. But that's not uh, as you're in a loan. That's not necessarily happening. I'm not talking about when you apply for the loan, but more down the road when you make changes Got uh, to Got the it. insurance. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my experience has been like they are very. I mean, even I've made changes to my insurance, and the yeah. insurance department is so particular. They go into every line item. They make sure we're meeting yeah. it. So there could be some dust lenders which is not doing a, a detailed job. I guess. Yes, so that's that's right. It really varies from lender to lender. Got right? it. How, Got it. Uh, how detailed they are. Now, uh, what what a lot of people do not realize, and that's something that we have discussed, James, uh, right offline, is that uh, your representation and your order guarantor representations when you apply for that loan. Uh, are are also part of that bad boy carve out. So what that means is that if you or any of your guarantors make a representation when you apply for that loan, that then can be proven as uh, inaccurate. And I'm not talking about oh uh, I put in a, a value for a property that uh, f- that I felt was a million and it's only nine hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand. I'm talking about uh, gross misrepresentation of your financial strength, uh, of your experience, uh, but particularly your financial strength uh, that can be that can be uh, triggering uh, that bad boy uh, carve out, and we have seen that in the past. And you need to understand why, right, uh, particularly when it comes to Fanny. Uh, what a lot of people do not know is that each Fannie lender uh, has has a loss share agreement with Fannie, so they take a loss. If if Fannie takes a loss, they take a loss too, and uh, they have that first loss uh, arrangement. So they have an interest of of loss mitigation, and obviously, if the property somehow. Uh, will not uh, uh, pay back the loan plus all the accrued charges, they need to look for other solutions. And one of the items is that they will have uh, in-house or external lawyers look at at all the representations that were made pre-application to approve that loan, Aside from from all the, the documentation that were was submitted throughout the, throughout the the, uh, the loan being in place, so it's very important that you trust your partners that they are are not lying, right? And it's it's a, we have seen it a lot, right? A lot of people uh, claim that they are accredited investors and they are participating in. In deals that are 506 piece, right? Uh, and because you don't need to verify that you are an accredited investor with these 506 P offerings, uh, but then when there is, a, uh, they suddenly then pop up and do their own uh, or attempt to do their own uh, syndication, and then you suddenly realize, well, you are not really an accredited investor. Right? But that's not really a loan thing, right? That's more of a SEC guideline. No, that's that's not a loan thing. I, I completely agree, right? But that is it's just a, an example of of mm-hmm. a lot of individuals because they are so desperate to get into into deals, particularly on the GP side, 
that um, sometimes I, they are stretching the truth or into deals that you're sometimes stretching the truth uh, of what their true situation is, right? And so it's it's really important to ensure that all the partners and guarantors that you have on board that they are not misrepres- grossly misrepresenting their their situations, whether it's experience, financial strength, that everything on the REO schedule is really true. Why not okay. that they, right? No one is is really verifying this. Oh, yeah, no one looks uh, at that in detail. Right. right? Uh, no one is looking at tax returns. Uh, so there is a, it's only a risk that someone can inflate their balance sheet and their experience uh, tremendously without, without that being verified. Got it, got it, got it. All right, Anton, why not you let our audience and listeners uh, know how to get hold of you? Yeah, sure. So my email address is amatley at peakmff.com. So that's uh, A-M-A-T-T-L-I at peakmff.com. And uh, that's probably the easiest to, to reach me uh, also when, when you're on Facebook or LinkedIn just type in my my name and then uh, I will pop up. It's a it's a pretty unusual name, so it should uh, you should uh, find me there. Uh, and I would say that's that's the easiest to to reach me. Awesome! Thanks for coming on the show. I think this is a really really timely uh, show in terms of discussing <laughs> the loans and all that, right? So sometimes. When nothing happens, when we talk about how you know how risky breach loans are, nobody really cares, right? No, no passive even look at what uh, sponsor is taking loan, right? They just look at the numbers yes. and and and, uh, and did that. But keep in mind, I did I did wrote it my book like two years ago, right? So if you have read it, I mean, there's a lot of uh, resources out there as well. Uh, you know, you would have been uh, you know warned about it. It's nothing wrong. It's just market risk uh, you know if sometimes uh, you make a lot of money doing bridge loans as well sure but, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah but you know it just depends on the market cycle and the sponsor and the syndicate how strong they are as well i mean there's a lot of sponsor who, who's going to write this bridge lending um you know uncertainty as well right uh, fine but uh, just for anybody to be uh, aware of i guess thank you very much anton yes yeah thank you james that's it for this episode If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.